We are going to continue today in the book of Ephesians, so you can go ahead and turn there. And we started last week, and we said a few things about the book of Ephesians as a whole. We said, first, uh, that we are a gospel people, because the one thing that unites us in this room today is the gospel, is that we believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus to save us. That's the one common characteristic we all have today. But we're also... And, and that's what Paul's going to spend the first three chapters of Ephesians talking about. What is the gospel? What is it? What does it mean? How has God saved us? But we're also a gospel people because we live out the gospel. It's not just a, a, a heart thing that has no outward effect. It is something real that changes how we live. And so we, that's what he's going to spend the last half of the book of Ephesians talking about. It's how do we practically live this out? If we say we have this faith, what does it look like? And then we're also third, we are a gospel people. We're not just gospel individuals or gospel persons who are lone rangers doing our own thing and not connected to other people. We are a gospel people. God didn't just save individuals and say, hey, good luck. No, he put us together as a church because we need each other and we belong to one another. Uh, and last week we looked at a whole bunch of all that Paul describes. I won't recap that, but you can go back and listen to that. Today we're going to look at chap uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And Paul is going to report on how he is praying for the church. He, he's going to tell them how he's praying for them and what he's praying for them. And what he is praying for them is depth. It's depth. It's something real. It's, it's deep knowledge and understanding and insight into all that God has done. It's not, it's not surface stuff. It's not just an outward show of, you know, dressing up, coming to church. He says, no, this is real. This is deep. And he's praying for deep insight. He's praying that we would know the gospel and all that God has done to its fullest extent. Not just kind of dabble and stay on the surface. No, he wants us to know it deeply. And so that's what he's going to pray for. This is about growing roots down deep, not just sprouting up fast growth and then withering away. It reminds me of Jesus' parable of the soils. Anybody, anybody remember the parable of the soils? We're not going to read the whole thing. But Jesus said this. He said there was a farmer who went out to sow, and he was scattering seed. And the seed fell on all sorts of different soils. It fell on the path, the beaten path. And what happened to that? It said the birds came and plucked it up. And it didn't sink in or grow anything. It fell among the rocky soil and it sprouted up real quick. But it didn't grow roots and so when the sun came out, it withered away. And he said some fell among the thorns and it grew up. But eventually it was choked out by all the other stuff around it. And he said some fell on good soil and it produced fruit 30, 60, 100 fold, right? And he said that th this story was about the gospel going and People, when, we, when they hear the gospel, some are like the hard path, and it, doesn't even, it, it, it seems like they don't even register what it is, right? It just, it's in one ear, out the other. That's some people. Some people, they, they hear it, they receive it with joy, they get real excited for a little bit, but then when things get hard, when life really hits, the rubber hits the road, I think is the phrase, eh, they wither away, right? Just like the one with the sun comes out. Some people, they have a real faith, and it grows, but the cares of this world, the, the, the other stuff that's going on, the deceitfulness of sin, all sorts of things, it chokes out that plant, right? But he said some falls on 
good soil, and it produces fruit. The goal of Paul's prayer today is so that we would be the last one. He's praying, I want you to have deep roots so that you produce fruit, not just so that you spring up for a little bit and then wither away, not so that you get excited after a morning service, but then by Monday morning, all that adrenaline is gone, right? He said, I want you to have deep roots, deep insight, deep knowledge. So before we read our passage today, let me pray. God, I pray that for us. I pray that you would give us deep insight, deep understanding. God, I pray that we wouldn't just be surface level. I pray that this wouldn't just be about um, window dressing and, and looking pretty and, and all that other stuff. I pray that our faith would be real. It would sink down deep, God, and it would produce fruit, the fruit of love and the fruit of joy and peace and patience and all those sorts of things. God, may, may you do that today, God, through my preaching and my limited words. I pray that you would make the, your word make sense, and I pray that it would change us to be gospel people in our world. So we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. The reason Paul is praying for them is because he has heard of them. He has heard of them. He knows their reputation. Your reputation is what others know about you or what others think of when they hear your name, right? And he says, I have heard of your faith and love. Now, we got to remember Paul is in Rome in prison for his faith. And Ephesus is a long way in western Turkey. And Paul had lived there for two and a half years, but he had been gone for a long time. So he, it kind of sounds like he doesn't know them and he's just kind of heard about them. No, he, what he's saying is, I have heard about you since I left. I have heard of your, what, two things, faith and love. He's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. This is every Christian. Every gospel person has faith and has love. Every Christian both believes and loves. This is faith and works, right? It's, it's real. It's deep, and it's producing fruit. So he's heard about their faith. He, I think what he's saying to us and that we need to hear today is that our faith is meant to be known by others. We live in a Western context where, where faith is kind of this individual, private thing that we don't really want others to know about. It's just between me and God. But what he's saying here is, I've heard of their faith. Our faith is meant to be known by others. Others are meant to know that we have faith in the Lord Jesus. This doesn't mean that we're obnoxious about it, but it does mean that others can see it in our lives. They can recognize it in our lives. And the way he says that they recognize it is their love, their love towards all the saints. He's heard of their faith, and he's heard of their love. Their faith wasn't empty. It was leading to fruit. It makes me think of uh, what he says in James 2, 17. James says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is like the plant that, that grows up but then falls away because it doesn't have fruit, right? The farmer gets rid of it because it's not producing fruit, right? He says if our faith doesn't have works, if it's not real and producing something in this world, then it's not real at all. And, jo and Jesus says this in John 13, verse 35. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, 
He says, this is the evidence that you really are my disciple, that you really are a gospel person, is that you love. That's their reputation, that they're believing and they're loving. And before we go on to all that he's going to pray for them, I think we got to ask ourselves, what are we known for? What are we known for as a church? What is our reputation? Maybe you individually, you got to ask that question. What am I known for? When somebody says my name, when someone says Kevin Murphy, I'm just going to call him out. There he is. What do they think of? If it's not faith and love, then maybe we got to change something in our life, right? I, I want to be able, us to be a people that, that when people say Huntington First Baptist Church, or they say your name, they say, man, that man is a man of faith. And that man loves other people. Let's keep going. Verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Do not cease. That means he doesn't stop. Now, I don't think what Paul means is that he literally prays 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's using hyperbole. He's exaggerating to, to tell them that his prayers for them are ongoing. They're consistent. They're steady. They're, they're, he's disciplined, right? Because I, I hear that, do not cease in praying, and I immediately feel guilt. And some of you might, right? And you think, man, I don't pray enough, right? I, I don't know that that's what he means. I think what he means is that he is disciplined in this. And he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I, th I think he's thankful, one, for his time with them in Ephesus. But I think more than that, he's thankful for the reputation. He's thankful that they're, they're full of faith and full of love. It makes me think of uh, in, in 3 John, he says, he says this, verse, chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Paul's been gone for, for a while now. And now he's hearing of wow, this is real. This is growing. They're, they're maturing. They're, they're loving one another. They're believing in the gospel, right? This is any parent, right? To hear of your children who leave and you hear that they're doing well, this, this brings joy. And Paul is saying, I am thankful for you. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul is praying for them consistently. And this is another evidence of us, if we're gospel people, if we're maturing, is that we pray for other people. We don't just pray for ourselves. We don't just pray for ourselves, and we should pray for ourselves. There's nothing against that. But we should be praying for other people. Paul is. All the mature Christians I know are. They're praying for other people. He says that we should be praying for them. This, this word, remembering you, carries the idea that he's praying very specifically for them. He's not just praying this kind of general prayer, God, be with the churches in Ephesus and bless them, right? And there's nothing wrong with that prayer. <laughs> it's a good prayer. But it, it carries the idea that he's praying specifically for people. He's praying specifically for circumstances. He's praying for deep growth and spiritual life in specific circumstances, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. These are personal prayer times. Paul is spending time alone with God, praying for others consistently. And so before we get to the content of what he's praying, I just want us to think about this. How are we being steadfast and disciplined? Right? I, and I feel that when it says, I do not cease. I feel the guilt. I feel that I'm not doing enough. And that's not a gospel mindset, right? What he's saying is that we should be disciplined in praying for other people. And so my question this week and my challenge is this. Who are you praying for? 
Who are you praying for because you're thankful for them? You're thankful for their example, their faith, their, their help in your life. Who, who is it? Who is that one person or few people in your life? Who are you praying for? And what are you praying for them? My challenge is this, because this is what Paul's doing, is you should let them know. You should commit this week, I'm going to pray for this person every day. And I'm going to text them, I'm going to call them, I'm going to write a note to them. I'm going to tell them what I'm praying for there, for them. There would be no greater encouragement than to get that note, would there, right? To get that note and say, hey, I'm praying for you, I'm praying this and this and this. I, I, hope, that, I hope you'll take that up this week. Take that challenge. Pick somebody, pray for them. Write it down, let them know what you're praying for them. Let's keep going. Let's see what Paul's praying for them. Verse 17. Verse 17. His prayer is this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. His prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And if you've if you're got your, your sensors on as we're reading this, you can see really quickly, this is a prayer to the God of the Bible, the God who has revealed himself in the form of a trinity. Three persons, one God, as mind-blowing and as hard to understand that is, he is praying to God the Father through Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit, right? This is how we pray. We pray to the Father, it's his will that we're praying for. It's, it's his rule and reign over the whole earth that we can appeal to. Right? We're praying to him. We're presenting to the Father our request. But the only way we have access to the Father is through the Son, right? We, we can't come to the Father on our own. We have no merit. We have no standing before the Father. And so we pray to the Father through the Son who sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, pleading for us on... on and, and it's only through him that we have access to the Father. And we pray by the Spirit. The Spirit who gives us words to say sometimes. I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point in prayer where it's just like, I don't even know what to say, God. I, I have no words. And, and the Scripture tells us that the Spirit intercedes for us. He gives us words to say. He, he brings to remembrance all that Jesus taught. That's what the Spirit does in prayer. And his prayer for them is that they would have a spirit of Wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. His prayer for them is that they would have a spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. And these, these three words are all related. They're all similar. Uh, they're, they're slightly different. Wisdom is that skill in living. Wisdom is not just, I mean, we all know people like this that are really smart. Anybody know somebody that's really smart? But it's all head knowledge. Anybody know that person who struggles to like, pay their bills on time, not because they don't have money, but because they can't remember, <laughs> or doesn't know how to interact with people, but they're really smart, they can tell you a lot of facts, right? Wisdom is the skill of living. It's knowing how to work in this world. He's praying for spiritual wisdom, not just knowledge, not just random facts about the Bible. He's praying for wisdom. He's praying for revelation. Revelation is, um, it's understanding that only comes from God, right? So if, if I if I'm hiding something behind here and I pull it and you can see it, that's revelation, right? Something that's hidden, something that's uh, guarded, but God reveals it to us. So he's praying that not just that we would know some facts about the Bible or know some facts about God, but that God would reveal the truth to us. There is an inherently spiritual aspect of learning. 
Like this morning, we need the Spirit to help us, right? I need the Spirit to help me speak, and you need the Spirit to help you understand. Because it's not just, hey, I'm going to tell you some facts. You memorize these facts, and you'll live better this week. No, we need revelation, and we need wisdom, and we need knowledge. Knowledge means discernment, the ability to tell what's true uh, and understand facts, right? And so there is a basic element that we do need to understand Bible stories, right? But we also need God to, to speak to our heart. We also need God to reveal the truth to us. It's not just, hey, memorize this and you'll be good. No, we need the Spirit to work in our lives. And he says that all of these things, the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge, it's all about who? What does it say in verse 17? Who is it all about? Him. It's of him. Him. Who is him? It's, it's the one that earlier he said that in him we have obtained an inheritance. We are adopted in him. We are saved by grace in him. It's Jesus Christ. Our knowledge and our aim as Christians is not to just come to church, fill up our brains with a bunch of random facts about whatever. No. It is to grow in knowledge and wisdom of Jesus. That's it. Our aim and our goal is to know Jesus deeply. And that's what he's praying for them. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He says, he's praying that they would have the eyes of their hearts Enlightened. This is explaining what he's what he's he's just expounding on what he said earlier. Enlightened is the idea uh, makes sense that that you shine a light on something that is totally dark. Right, you're in the woods at night and you shine a light, a big old spotlight, and you can all of a sudden see the deer. Right, and there's no game wardens in here, is there? No. Okay. All right. Um, right. You're enlightened. You can see what the truth really was. It was there all along. But now that there's a light, you can see it, right? But he's praying that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. And so what he's praying for is that there would be something that changes deep inside of us that allows us to see this, know this, but not just at a head level, at a heart level. He's praying for spiritual enlightenment. I've heard it explained like this from a, 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 a pastor I listen to. His name is Matt Chandler. He's at a church in Flower Mound called the Village Church. And he describes this with his kids. And he says, you know, so he's, he's a good dad, right? He wants his kids to come to know Christ. He wants them to be saved. Uh, but he also recognizes, like, he can't do that. I can't save my kids. And I, I feel that, right? I, I can't fix my kids, right? I can't save them. I can't, I can't do that. But he says with his kids, he thinks of it like a bonfire, like a bonfire. Now, that's a real East Texas concept for a guy who lives in Dallas. But, but, but anyway, how many of you have ever built massive bonfires? Anybody? Okay. Yes. All right. Good. I feel like that's an East Texas thing. No? Am I, am I wrong? No. Okay. All right. There, Gary's with me. It's like build a bonfire, right? You got to have the conditions right, right? So you got to clear a spot. Can't do it in the water. Can't do it in the wet spot, right? You got to clear a spot. You got to get different kinds of wood. You got to have small stuff that you can light like first, and then a little bit bigger stuff, and big, big, and then you know if you're Aggies, you just keep building until you reach the sky, right? Um, but it's like building a bonfire. And when we are teaching truth to our kids or to talking to a non-Christian friend about the Bible, it's like us stacking wood, right? We're getting the environment right. But at the end of the day, we can't light the bonfire on fire. Only God can do that. 
And that's how it is with our kids. I can teach my kids all about God's word. My two-year-old, Ellie, sweet little Ellie, if you know her, she can tell you what Easter's about. She knows what Easter's about. She can tell you that Jesus is alive. Does that mean that Ellie has had the eyes of her heart enlightened? Does she really understand what that means? No. Ellie's still in diapers, right? Ellie doesn't know anything, right? Hudson can tell you what, what Jesus did on the cross. He can tell you all about it. But, but right now, he just got a bunch of wood stacked up. It's not on fire. The moment where it comes on fire, the moment of salvation, is when the Spirit enlightens our hearts, right? And we make two mistakes when it comes to this, right? We make two mistakes, and they're like two sides of the road, the ditches. Sometimes with, with a non-Christian friend or a, or a kid or whatever, we're, we're sharing the gospel, but we're not praying for them. We're telling them about Jesus, but we're not really praying for them. That's like trying to, that's like trying to build a big bonfire, but forgetting to bring a match, you're never going to light it on fire. The only thing that can light it on fire is God, right? So we need to, yeah, we need to tell our kids about Jesus. But we need to be praying for them too. The other side is also true. Sometimes we think, man, I'm just going to pray for my non-Christian friend. I want to see him come to know Jesus. But we never talk to him. That's like trying to light wet wood. It's never going to happen, right? If they don't hear the gospel and believe, God can never enlighten their hearts. You see this? We make either side is a mistake. We need people to understand the gospel, but we also need the Spirit to move in their lives. We need to be telling people about Jesus, but we need to be praying for them just as much, just as much. Let's keep going. He prays for three things. He prays that we would have deep knowledge of these three things, and the rest of this is going to move quickly. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, and he's going to give three things. First, what is the hope to which he has called you? Second, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And third, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? He says he wants us to know the hope to which we were called. Hope is something that is in the future, but he says it's the hope to which we were called. Our calling was our past, the moment of salvation, the moment Jesus rescued us from our sin. And he says at that moment you were given a hope, not a wish, not a, you know, like a, ah, I kind of hope this happens. No, this is confidence that at that moment of salvation we have hope for what is ahead for us who are in Christ. He says, I want you to know the hope to which you have been called. It's not just this oh yeah, I think I'm good, like me and Jesus, you got this thing going on. No, he says, I want you to know, I want you to have confidence in this. He says he wants the second to know the riches of our glorious inheritance. The riches of our glorious inheritance. That What's laid up for us in heaven because we are sons of God is that we will receive an inheritance one day. And, and that may feel weird to talk about, but the more I read this, I thought, yeah, I want to I dwell on the inheritance that is to come. I want to think about the riches of it. Because once we see that value, like things of this earth pale in comparison, right? It reminds me of the parable Jesus told of the man who, who he found a treasure in a field. And it says that he went and sold everything he had and he bought the field. And the implication is like his friends went, that field? All of that for that field? But they didn't know what the treasure was in the field. When we see the riches of our glorious inheritance in Christ, man, nothing on this earth, no, no difficulty, no struggle is in com 
compares to what is to come. So we should think about heaven. We should think about what is to come. We should think about life forever with God. And when we think about that, we forget about the struggles of this world. It pales in comparison. It doesn't mean it's not real. But we know what we have to come. The hope that we have and the inheritance that we have to come is worth it. And he says the third thing he wants us to know deeply is verse 19. And to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Knowledge of the immeasurable greatness of his power. It's immeasurable. We can't quantify it because it's great. It's not small or insignificant. God is not limited. God is not small and unable to work in our world and in our life. No, his power is great. Power is the word that we get dynamite for. And I don't know, uh, Tannerite for you East Texans, right? Tannerite, dynamite, same thing, right? And when, when you blow that up, when you shoot your gun into that and it wakes my kid up at night, just kidding. When you do that, whatever's around it gets out of the way, right? Because it has more power than anything around it. And God's power, nothing can stop it. Nothing gets in its way. When he decides to move, he is not limited. He is not unable to accomplish what he wants to do. He wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. We have a calling in the past. We have a hope in the future. But God's power is his active presence in this world at work. It says, working, according to the working of his great might, there is nothing that God can't do. There is no situation in your life that God is not able to overcome. There is no thing that you should fear if you are in Christ because what you have to come and God's power at work now will not overcome you. No anxiety, no fear, no disaster, nothing. And how do we know that God has this power? It's verse 20 and through the end. We know that he has great power and great might because of verse 20. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. God's greatest work is shown in that he raised Christ from the dead. He did what was impossible. This is the pinnacle of all that God has done. Everything he else he does points to this, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's all about the good news of the gospel. He proved that he can do it. And it says that he has now seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. To take a seat is this royal picture that Jesus is king over the universe now. He is actively co-reigning and co- uh, whatever that verb is, ruling over all things with God the Father. Right now, because he conquered death, there is nothing that is stronger or bigger than him. And he goes on to explain that in 21 through 23. He says, that he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He's above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I don't have time to talk about each one of these words, but what Paul is illustrating in so many different ways is that he is above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He's reiterating, there is nothing that King Jesus is not over. There is nothing that is able to stop him or limit him in any way. He is far above all of that. He's above every name. There is no earthly kingdom, earthly ruler, earthly circumstance that Jesus is not above. 
It says all things are under his feet. He is the supreme one. He is in charge. And, and there's all kinds of situations in here that you're feeling anxious or you're feeling nervous or unsure about, right? And I feel that personally. And this was a, such a good reminder for me to know, you know what? Jesus is on the throne and he is over all things. There is no situation in life that he is not in control of and knows what is going on. And I am in him, right? If you're in Christ, you're in him, and he is over all things, no matter how anxious you feel. He gave him his head. He's the supreme. He's the mind. He's the most important. He's the one who runs the show. We submit to him, not to anything else. And it says that he gave him as head to the church, that we submit to him as a body. He is our leader. His word guides us and directs us and, and does everything for us. It gives us life. And what he says at the end, it's really kind of hard to understand. It says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is described as his body. We as gospel people are the image of Christ until Jesus is to return. The only way the world is going to see and know Jesus is if we are known for our faith and known for our love. And the only way that's gonna happen is if we have spiritual depth to know the greatness of his power, to know the immeasurable inheritance that we have in heaven, to know the hope to which he has been called. We are called as gospel people to be Christ's image in this world, to point people to him in all things. Because God created us good. He did, he created us for relationship with him. But each one of us, myself included, I chose to go my own way. You chose to go your own way. The Bible calls that sin. And we rejected him and we, we instead put all of our hope and our trust in our own ability, our own wisdom. And that, that sin separated us from God because we separated ourselves from God. But God didn't want that. He loved us enough to send Jesus to pay the price to bring us back into relationship. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus lived the, the life that we couldn't, he died the death that we deserved, and we get the inheritance that really he deserves. But he freely gives it to us, and if we will place our faith in him, then we can be saved. That's the good news, we don't have to stay separate from God. He wants to bring us back to relationship with him and with each other. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this good news. God, I thank you for the immeasurable riches of the inheritance that we have one day. God, I thank you for the sure, confident hope that we could have in Jesus. God, I thank you for your power at work right now. God, and I pray that you too will grant us to have a spirit of wisdom and knowledge and of revelation and an insight into all that you have accomplished for us in the gospel. God, and may as that sinks in into our hearts, may we live it out such that we have a reputation in the world for faith and love and that people would see that and want that life, want that peace, want that hope that we have. God, may we not keep it hidden, but may we proclaim this good news to the ends of the earth, God. We love you. We thank you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.